0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, what does the future hold for Pakistan as Imran Khan is forced out as Prime Minister? It was 1991 and a world-famous Pakistani cricketer named Imran Khan was giving an interview to the BBC's Desert Island Discs. Born in Pakistan 38 years ago and educated at Oxford University, he's today considered one of the game's great all-rounders. Then, at the height of his cricketing career, Khan was used to winning.
0: You know, when I was younger, I found it so hard to accept defeat. In a way, it was good because, you know, I hated losing, so I tried even harder the next time. But in a, in, in another way, It created a lot of um, turmoil, you know. I couldn't accept defeat. So it was easy to accept a lot of things in life with this policy or philosophy.
1: It's a philosophy that stayed with him through the many lives he's lived. Cricket star, international playboy, philanthropist, and finally, as the prime minister of Pakistan. Khan projects himself as a champion of the working class. He is undeniably charismatic. And he has railed against corruption throughout his political career.
0: I want a change in Pakistan. We wanted, the whole idea was to fight the political mafias in Pakistan. And it was always going to be difficult.
1: But in the space of just a week, Khan was defeated. A dramatic vote of no confidence in parliament, which he had tried to block, forced him out. Political scientist Sara Khan was in Islamabad watching this constitutional crisis reach a crescendo.
2: On Saturday, I was glued to various television channels. Well, Imran Khan, of course, will be uh, facing the no-confidence motion today. But also watching the live parliamentary proceedings. ...the vote is now on. We are minutes away from the outcome of that vote to be... Dec- and then there was a series of delays, and it looked throughout the day that Imran Khan was not willing to sort of back down. Uh, the Imran Khan administration, the PTI, his party, have maintained that this is a foreign conspiracy aimed at toppling his government. As the deadline of midnight for the vote to take place got closer and closer, things got more and more tense. In a very, very short while from now, you'll be seeing the vote to be completed. It was just, I think, um, an hour before midnight that the vote finally came to the floor.
0: 174 members have recorded their votes in favor of the resolution. Consequently, the resolution for vote of no confidence against Mr. Imran Khan the prime minister of islamic republic of pakistan has been passed by a majority of the total membership of the national assembly
2: after which we see protests as well as celebration on part of the opposition
1: the reaction reflects a divided country and with khan gone his vision for a new pakistan might go with him from the guardian i'm nosheen iqbal today in focus where did it all go wrong for imran khan sarah khan you're a political scientist at yale with a specialization in south asia What can you tell me about who Imran Khan was before he became a politician?
2: Prior to coming into politics, Khan's celebrity status was tied to his captaincy of Pakistan's cricket team.
1: Yes, that's a fantastic uh, effort by Imran Khan. An
2: important captaincy, because it was during that that Pakistan won the 1992 Cricket World Cup.
0: A magnificent performance in front of 87,000 people. Imran Khan is his side to victory. What a great victory.
2: So I think one of the terms used to describe him is cricketer-turned-politician. But I think what this often misses is cricketer-turned-philanthropist-turned-politician. Imran wants more for his country than simply cricket supremacy. He's capitalizing on his popularity, trying to raise $22 million for his own hospital. And so that's also an important part of kind of his legacy is the Shokat Khan Memorial Hospital, the cancer hospital that he set up. What's your goal?
0: Well, initially really to provide cancer care of top quality and most importantly for the poor people here, free treatment.
2: But outside or alongside that, Khan has a reputation of an international playboy.
0: You are also known as the world's greatest heartthrob. What is it with you that (laughs) produces this fantastic urge for girls to beat a path to your door? Uh, I have read more about it. Quite a few things in your columns. um.
2: (laughs) And of being well-traveled, of being educated at one of Pakistan's elite private schools. And he's refashioned himself, certainly from those days of quote-unquote international playboy to a more anti-American, anti-West, more religious. As far as those of us looking on can judge, you've gone from cricketer to social reformer
1: from man of the world to Pakistani nationalist, and from playboy to devout Muslim and husband, that's quite a transformation, isn't
0: it? The assumption is that we don't change. You know, if we weren't to change, uh, you know, we would not come on the right path. I mean, this is the right path is every day.
1: So Imran Khan, as you said, went from being this sporting megastar, incredibly famous around the world and adored, to then campaigning to build this first cancer hospital in Pakistan in memory of his mother. Now, she died in 1985, and he finally saw that hospital open in 1994. How did that journey pave the way for his political ambition?
2: So I think some of the political ambition also comes from frustration, frustration, with the processes of setting up some of these philanthropic efforts and also opposition to entrenched elite interests and what he sees as corrupt dynastic political parties that also directly for him thwarted some of these philanthropic efforts or made it harder for him to do the work that he wanted to be doing.
1: Imran Khan once captained his country at cricket, now the talk in Pakistan is of him leading his country again, perhaps as
2: prime minister. And so he formed the Pakistan Tehreek-e-Insaf in 1996. And it was sort of a hybrid between a movement and a political party.
0: And he
2: formed the party in opposition to what he saw as corrupt and dynastic and elite entrenched political parties that existed in the political landscape at the time. So in
1: 1996 he launched his own party, Thrygian Saf Movement for Justice. And it wasn't going to be easy for him to break Pakistan's pattern of military dictatorships and ruling family dynasties. What was he up against and what did Pakistani politics look like at the time?
2: So the PMLN and the Pakistan People's Party, the PPP, are um, the two large national parties that Khan is up against when the PTI is formed. And the PMLN is often associated with the Sharif family. The Pakistan uh, People's Party, the face of which currently are Asif Ali Zardari and Bilawal Bhutto, um, Asif Ali Zardari being the widower of Pakistan's assassinated former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto and Bilawal Bhutto being her son. And so the Bhutto family and um, the Sharif family are kind of two dynastic family players in Pakistan politics affiliated with uh, these two parties respectively. We can kind of think of um, the PMLN as being centre-right and the PPP as being centre-left. So he's up against parties with a much longer history of organising and mobilisation, parties that have greater control over the bureaucracy when they are in power. So you've got Nawaz Sharif and his family on the centre-right
1: and the Bhutto Zadaris on the centre-left. What did Imran Khan stand for?
2: That's a good question because I think some would say that Imran Khan stood against these parties rather than for something concretely. But the PTI really fashioned itself as the anti-corruption party.
0: Corruption can only be rooted out from Pakistan if accountability starts from the top.
2: The party that would bring an end to entrenched dynastic interests.
0: Provided we catch the big fish, the big crooks, I think the corruption problem in Pakistan will be solved by and large.
2: And so the fact that Imran Khan is not from a political family became kind of an important feature of his leadership and something that he refers to again and again. The anti-corruption slogan was was big from the very beginning.
0: And I, I, I must say that I'm very optimistic because I already see there's a There's a restlessness in the people. The whole entire country wants a change.
2: It's been a feature of all their electoral campaigns. And another feature, which has become really salient, is a specific brand of anti-Americanism. What are
0: we? Are we friends or enemies? Uh, Who are we giving these sacrifices for? We did not have any suicide attacks in Pakistan before 2004. We had no militant Taliban in Pakistan.
2: Khan's major source of support is in urban Pakistan, and that's reflected also in the mobilization or the protests that we see now. There's also an image of the party's support base being younger, and so the idea of the PDI being the party of the youth. In its mobilisation and rallies, initially the PTI also deferred from other parties in terms of visibly having women and families being at those rallies, which were really more like celebrations or festivals, including music and dancing. And other parties actually vilified the PTI for this a lot, especially in the lead up to 2018. Why is that? It sounds quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I think that these were bad faith representations of women attending PTI jalsas as being somehow immoral, and there were kind of quite awful slandering statements about quote unquote the kind of women who attend PTI rallies. Um, yeah, and so I think that was pretty ugly in in the lead up to
0: 2018. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim.
1: Imran Khan was eventually voted in as Pakistan's prime minister in 2018. How much of a shock was it when that happened?
2: I think it it started to become apparent that this was going to be possible in early 2018. And largely that was because it was clear that the PTI had the tacit support of the Pakistani military. And in the lead up to 2018, there was also um from Pakistan report into allegations of illegal business operations of Pakistan's Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif and his... In 2017, Nawaz Sharif is, is disqualified because of a corruption case, which is known as as the Panama Papers case and under misdeclaration of assets.
0: Pakistan's Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif has resigned after the country's Supreme Court unanimously ruled that he should be disqualified over corruption allegations.
2: And so All it's it's in 2017 that it starts to become clear that the PTI is going to have an advantage, and um, while the corruption cases are certainly the the last nail in the coffin that ultimately lead to disqualification, something else to note about military involvement in Pakistani politics is that any leader who has sort of tried to pursue independent foreign policy which is something that Nawaz Sharif started to do uh, during a term as prime minister has led to distancing from the military pakistan's foreign policy is something that the military has always been extremely involved in regardless of whether there's a military dictatorship and even during times of democratic governments
1: outside to much of the Pakistani diaspora across the world, and of course, I guess for Pakistan's electorate, it seemed considered the alternatives that Khan was on the side of decency, that he seemed to be a good, noble guy struggling to change what people were fed up with, with corruption, poverty, lack of education, and so on, which at the time seemed like a breath of fresh air from what the country had endured with its previous leaders. But, I have had a lot of conversations with Pakistani journalists with Pakistani liberals over the years on how Khan has been faring. And he does seem to be viewed by that group, at least with
2: widespread derision and contempt. Why do you think that is? I think some of that comes from an environment of repression and a closing of civic space that happened. the case of repression of the media in Pakistan, a TV
0: reporter in Pakistan has gone missing. Scene-
2: Pakistan is now a much more stable
0: country than it was, say, a decade ago. But human rights groups say it's also becoming a more authoritarian one. They blame the current government as well as Pakistan's military.
2: And so Pakistan's rank on journalistic freedom, for instance, has, um, has fallen in the last four years since Khan came into power there have been groups and um, and parties and movements that have been protesting military intervention in politics, as well as military excesses more broadly, and the pattern of enforced disappearances, which have also been a huge issue during um, the PTI government. And those protests have been, have been largely repressed during the last few years under the PTI and often repressed violently. And so I, I think that has been a real blow to democratic politics overall in, in Pakistan. And I think that is probably why Khan is, and PTI are, are being viewed by the groups that you're talking about in particular with scepticism and disillusionment. As
1: a leader, what do you think Khan has delivered on and achieved?
2: In terms of campaign promises, um, I think one of the big things that the PTI has relied on has been overseas support. And one of the promises was the extension of the right to vote to overseas Pakistanis, which is a group of um, between nine to 10 million Pakistanis who hold the um, national identity card. These overseas Pakistanis do now have the right to vote. And I think that's um, that was a big campaign promise. It's one that he's made good on. I think outside of that, in terms of the welfare state promises, the PTI government has upheld and expanded um, the Benazir Income Support Program. And that was also the kind of use of that infrastructure to deliver cash transfers and relief during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. There's also been the first step towards um, universal healthcare insurance, and that was something that was again promised as part of the set of welfareist reforms. And in the latter part
1: of 2021, there were reports that the military had quietly withdrawn its support from
2: Imran Khan. What did that mean, and what exactly happened? So the, the withdrawal of military support is precipitated by a number of factors. One of them is the pursuit of an independent foreign policy direction, which is what Khan tried to do in Afghanistan with the United States and also with India. There's also a clash over the appointment of the head of intelligence services. Recently, Imran Khan dared to defy General Bajwa. He blocked the appointment of the new ISI chief. Where the chief of army, uh, General Bajwa, wanted to change the appointed head, and Imran Khan blocked this change. And so that sort of puts him at loggerheads with the chief of army. Imran Khan dared to take on his boss,
1: only to end up with an egg on his face. So at that point, he's fallen out of favor with the army. And meanwhile, the country is also seeing rocketing inflation. Now, Pakistan is facing the biggest economic crisis in history. It has been ranked as a country with the fourth highest inflation rate in the world. Khan may have steered the country through COVID relatively successfully, but he has been blamed for food and fuel prices going up.
2: But is this not just an echo of what's happening around the world? It's true. And I think that this is something that governments around the world are are facing, which is a crisis of credibility due to economic crises that to some extent are out of their control. And we see governments facing challenges in times of economic crises. And in some sense, Pakistan is no different. And even if some of the economic conditions are are global in nature rather than specific to Pakistan the pattern that we see is that voters do punish sitting governments for economic conditions even if crises are are not a product of of mismanagement the other charge that i have heard
1: leveled against khan is that he didn't get a handle on corruption which to some of us it may seem like a wild irony given the number of criminal investigations that he launched against politicians who were seen to be corrupt. Now, I don't think the lawyers are going to come for me if I say Pakistan has been known to be looted by its own leaders for decades. Asif Ali Zadari was widely referred to as Mr. 10%. Sharif's own supporters hold banners that say that the Sharif's might have filled themselves up, but at least they got work done. Now, Khan hasn't, as far as anyone else knows, followed that trajectory. So why is he such a target for vitriol on corruption?
2: I think in part because the campaign promise of bringing an end to corruption in the first 60 days of being in office really raised expectations to a degree that was not possible to deliver on. And I think in terms of we... we, While the existence of corruption is undeniable, it is the case that voters may actually prioritise effective service delivery over a perfectly clean bill on corruption. That is to say that voters may be willing to tolerate some corruption in order to get public service delivery. Sarah, it's been a dramatic
1: fortnight in Pakistan. First, a vote of no confidence was tabled by the opposition, which Imran Khan blocked. His party then attempted to call a snap election, insisting that the public should be given the democratic right to vote on Khan's leadership. But the Supreme Court ruled that this violated the constitution and last Saturday, around midnight, after a long, long day in Parliament, that vote was allowed to go ahead. Now the motion required 172 votes of 342 seats in Parliament for it to pass and in the end, it was supported by 174 politicians and Khan was out. He has claimed foreign interference and that the opposition has colluded with the US government to get rid of him, but he's presented no evidence for this. Do you think Khan's vision for a new Pakistan has failed and it's now a return to
2: politics of old? That is certainly what the opposition, now new government, is trying to say.
0: Que Pakistan welcome back to purana pakistan
2: i would say that the vision and narrative has been dealt a blow and it's it's worth noting that the mobilizing call at the moment for the PDI protests um, has changed its tenor to being against foreign conspiracy and against an imported government.
0: In a tweet, Imran Khan described his removal as a form of quote U.S. backed regime Pakistan change.
2: Right legitimate now. government kar ke pe. Rather than a call or a vision for for the new Pakistan, because I think there's a recognition that that is probably a risky narrative to rely on in this moment.
1: Coming up, what does the future hold for Pakistani politics and for Imran Khan? Sarah It's extraordinary that the opposition parties, who have been huge, huge rivals in the past, have formed this alliance together. And it's now Shabazz Sharif of Pakistan People's Party, who has been sworn in as the country's new prime minister. He's the brother of the former three-time prime minister, Nawaz Sharif, who we mentioned earlier, and who has been barred from politics for 10 years after being found guilty on corruption charges. Shabazz himself was arrested on charges of money laundering two years ago, and his own case is still pending. What can you tell us about what to expect from Shabazz Sharif's leadership?
2: Sure. So Shabazz Sharif has been three times the chief minister of Punjab, and him and Khan couldn't be more different. Um, I think while Khan is broadly regarded as a charismatic leader, um, Shabazz Sharif is in fact thought of as as, um, as anti-charismatic, and <laughs> and really um, somebody who's who's good at getting things done is the reputation that precedes him. And um, that's something that he's drawn on in some of the political rhetoric and speeches he's made in, in the lead up to this um, no confidence vote, immediately following the vote and following his election as as prime minister. Sarah, what's the atmosphere like
1: where you are now? What's it been like and how are people responding to the last few days?
2: Um, There's certainly an environment of polarization (laughs) where you see sort of a division in in people who are, are really celebrating the ouster of the PTI government and of Imran Khan. And then, of course, there's the protests from on the side of the PTI, which were quite spread out over the country, and by some accounts, quite large as well. God willing, the last decision will be of the people. In a democratic system, the final voice will be the voice of the people. And the voice of the people is Imran Khan. And so I think it's it's a polarized environment, and, and that also makes me a little worried about the environment in which early elections would take place, because it's an environment that's then ripe for electoral violence. Sarah, as Imran has said before,
1: as we heard at the top of this episode, he doesn't find it easy to accept defeat. What do you
2: think his fight back will look like? And what will his legacy be? I think the difficulty of accepting defeat became really clear on Saturday when there were delay tactics being used all day long until the vote of no confidence became inevitable. And so I think that's kind of emblematic of the tenor of Khan's premiership, which has been a refusal to back down from certain positions, which um, has not always been strategic. The legacy is going to be determined by what he does in the coming days. We haven't really seen what the PDI as an opposition party in parliament looks like, because when they've been in opposition, they've been mostly outside of parliament and on the streets, in the courts, protesting and questioning the validity of election results. I think there is mobilization around this narrative of a foreign conspiracy and painting this government as an imported government and an anti-nationalist government. And so I think the use of nationalist rhetoric, which Khan has also used um, during his time in power, is going to be a continuing theme as are extra parliamentary tactics on the part of not just Imran Khan, but but the PTI at large. Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Sarah Khan. You can follow the developments of this story at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Maitely Rao and Phil Maynard. We'll be back on Monday.
0: This is the Guardian.